Uh, today what I want to do is finish up our series. We've been talking about how we encounter in unsuspecting, surprising, maybe oftentimes radical ways, the risen, resurrected Christ. We've been talking about what that looks like, like in our lives in sort of the intangible ways that we experience it on this side of the ascension of Christ. Today we're going to end that. It's from Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. I'm going to read that to you, but before I do, I just want to take a moment to pray and ask that you would pray for me because we could easily be here till 1230. So really I'm asking you to pray for you. God, we thank you for today and for this opportunity for us to come together. We thank you for the stories that we've already heard, the songs you've sung, the prayers we've prayed, and we ask that this would be a space where you break through our hearts, where you break through our grief, you break through our fear, and you break through our complacency. To whatever extent each of us are wrestling with those things, that you break through our busyness and that you would help us to learn to be people who are faithful to your gospel. And we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. On July 18th, 2015, Janelle and I were on vacation in Palm Springs, California. If you know Palm Springs, you might be thinking, why in the world were you there in July? The answer is, we are cheap. And rates on hotels are cheaper in Palm Springs in July, and we love Palm Springs. We love the desert. We love the heat. We love the weird, bizarre desert architecture and art that you find in the California desert. We love everything about it. It just so happens at that time in July of 2015, I was discerning whether or not to be involved in this denomination, the Disciples of Christ. I had been out of ministry for five years. I'd left ministry intentionally because my beliefs and ideas about God and Jesus and ministry had been radically transformed and changed, and so I left my old denomination, and I grieved the loss of my vocation. And after about four years of that, there began to percolate in me a hope that I could be in ministry again. And so I began to look for a new home, and the new home that I found, or at least that seemed to be calling to me, was this bizarre, strange, odd little church on the corner of Freeman and Topeka in Oceanside. Yes, it was you. It was a delightfully weird little congregation of people who, despite their lack of resources, were faithfully serving the poor every single Tuesday night. It was pretty remarkable. And I was wondering if I really was called to this denomination, which meant, of course, that Janelle would be called to this denomination because we are deeply enmeshed as people who met in high school and married before we were old enough to drink. So we were discerning together. Is this where we belong? And we were on vacation in Palm Springs while the General Assembly of the Disciples of Christ was occurring in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I was following the news out of the General Assembly on my Twitter feed. Because I was just curious to see like, what was coming out of this denomination that I was thinking about being a part of. And while we were in our hotel room one day, just sort of talking about it and praying, I got a little notification on my phone that there was a new tweet from the Disciples News Service. And I looked at it, and it said that the Disciples had just passed Resolution GA 1521, which it turns out was a resolution on gun violence. And so I clicked on it. 
and I read it to Janelle. And I got very emotional uh, because the denomination that I was a part of before spoke often of injustice. Talked about theologies of justice and injustice. Talked about living lives that were dedicated to making things right, but I had never been a part of a denomination that would put out a resolution that not only said that gun violence was a problem in this country, but that it was an epidemic. That said that gun violence was something that intersected with our faith in profound ways, that acknowledged that gun laws and gun rights and gun violence in the United States intersect with racialized ways of enabling people to own guns in a way that disproportionately harmed communities of color. And further, it said that people who were followers of Jesus, who believed in peace and reconciliation, could and should make a difference on gun violence in America. That it wasn't just mass shootings, it was suicides. That it was the killings not just of law enforcement officers, although it included the killing of law enforcement officers, but also the shooting and killing of people at the hands of law enforcement officers in ways that were deeply unjust. And then it went on to describe ways in which faithful followers of Jesus could speak into these problems by advocating for sane gun control laws, by working in the community to address a deeply pervasive culture of retribution and violence that we have in the United States. That we could go into the community and try to make a difference in all of these ways and that all of these things would be faithful expressions of the gospel. And as I read that out loud to Janelle, we both cried and agreed that we could be a part of a denomination that was willing to say those things and engage in those ways. This does have something to do with Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 11, I promise. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6, it says, So, when they had come together, this being the disciples, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? And he replied, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing up toward heaven. And suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. This is the last encounter the disciples have with the risen Christ. We've been talking about this for weeks. We've been talking about how Jesus and his presence in the life of the disciples was... Elusive. It was intermittent that Jesus showed up from time to time in ways that were surprising and unusual to them, that they often didn't recognize him as the resurrected Christ. He wasn't with them every day, eating and drinking and, and living life with them. He sort of came and went in ways that they could not predict. 
And I also said that the disciples by these encounters appear to be stuck. We've talked about that for a few weeks now. That the disciples don't seem to know what to do with the fact that their rabbi, their Messiah, has been resurrected, and yet this insurrection against the Romans has yet to occur. And so they go back to their old lives. They appear to be confused. Jesus attempts on several occasions to try to help them see that something fundamental has changed. And this, I think, is another example of that. The disciples clearly still do not understand the implications of the resurrection. This is why they ask him in verse 6, Lord, is now the time when you're finally going to do what we have always wanted you to do? Is now the time when you will fulfill your kingdom on earth, when you will vindicate and liberate Israel from its Roman yoke? They truly don't get it. This is not the point. Jesus didn't come to fix their Roman problem for them. Jesus prepares them throughout his entire ministry to see that a different kind of shift is underway. In Luke 9 and Matthew 10, Jesus sends out the disciples to do their own ministry. You remember these passages? Jesus takes the 12 and then later 70 followers, and he sends them out into the community to do what? To meet needs, to heal wounds, and to liberate the oppressed. He gives them power and authority to do it, and they go, and they do it, and it works. They're amazed. And yet they still don't get it. In John chapter 21, Jesus, after his resurrection, gives his disciples a powerful reminder of their calling, which is to be fishers of men. He shows up after a long night of not catching anything. He directs them to a miraculous haul of fish. Peter jumps out of the boat, swims towards Jesus. They get to the shore. Jesus takes the fish that they caught and cooks it, and they all eat from that. Remember, when we covered that passage two weeks ago, I said, this is a powerful object lesson that Jesus gives them so that they can see what the life of faith involves. It involves receiving grace from God and then sharing it with each other. It's a more mature expression of a life of faith. Yet they still don't get it. So in Matthew 28, he calls them together, great commission, and he says, listen, here's the point. You're all going to go out into the world. You're going to teach people how to love. You're going to immerse them in the presence of divine love. And then people are going to be equipped to do the things that I taught. And yet they still don't get it. And so Jesus departs from them. He leaves them. Because they're like, 20-somethings that haven't successfully launched. They're looking for their cosmic mommy or daddy to fix their problems for them. Jesus, when are you going to overthrow the Romans for us? When are you going to do what needs to be done for us? When are you going to fix our problems for us, Jesus ascends into heaven and departs from them because he knows that unless he does, they will not grow up. So in verse 8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power. You will be empowered 
to solve the problems that are faced by your world. You will be equipped to do these things. And of course, this happens later in chapter 2 of Acts. We'll be visiting this passage next week. The Holy Spirit pours out. The church is birthed on Pentecost. Suddenly, the church is full of the powerful Spirit of God to do good things in the world. But that doesn't happen yet, not here. And I think that we sometimes miss what Jesus means when he says that the Spirit will provide them with power. I think one of the best passages for understanding what Jesus is saying is this famous passage that we all toss around in church circles and religious settings whenever people are just sitting on their behinds in pews and not addressing real problems. We say, faith without works is dead. You know that phrase? It's James chapter 2, verse 26. Faith without works is dead. But we sometimes miss the metaphor that James uses there. It's verse 26. It says this, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. James says that it is our spirit, literally in the ancient language, breath. It is breath that animates our bodies. It is the spirit that makes our bodies work and function and Ancient Near Eastern cosmology, they believed that that spirit, that ruah in the Hebrew word or that pneuma in the Greek word was a tangible substance that gave our bodies life just like blood. That's what they believed. And so when James says spirit, when pneuma makes your body alive, and then he says works are what make your faith alive, what James is saying quite plainly is that it is when we put our faith into action to fix the world that the body of Christ is made alive. And when we fail to do that, we're dead. This is our body. This is Christ's body. And we say that the Spirit comes in power and enlivens us and animates us and empowers us. What we are talking about are our actions to fix what is wrong in the world. This is what James means by Spirit. This is what it means for us to be a community of faith. This, by the way, is what we will be talking about for the next several weeks what it means for us to be a community of love and power. Because if we are not a community of love and power, then we are just a dead body meeting on the corner of Freeman and Topeka, gazing at heaven. 2,000 years later, too many Christians are still gazing toward heaven. Every single Sunday, roughly 380,000 churches in the United States gather every Sunday to do little more than gaze toward heaven. While too many men, women, children go hungry, too many men, women, and children suffer the trauma of abuse and racism or discrimination or, yes, die at the end of the barrel of a gun that was easier to purchase than a bottle of Sudafed, lawn darts, or health insurance. 
American Christianity has made a profitable industry out of gazing toward heaven. We make a lot of money selling books about prayer and worship. And we do get addicted to sitting right there, looking toward heaven for our cosmic mommy or daddy to fix our problems. Don't get me wrong. Worship and prayer are vitally important to people of faith. We look toward heaven. We encounter the mysterious presence of God in order to experience something that truly transforms us. That is mercy and grace. It's only by experiencing the reality of mercy and grace that we are able to recognize how to truly act in the world. Because without mercy and grace, then we can act in the world in ways that are genuinely harmful to it. And we see the church do that all too often as well. So worship and prayer are deeply, vitally important to our actions of love. But if we do not get up from this place and go and act in love to repair our world, then we are dead. As Christians, we know what love is because we have gazed toward heaven. But once we have glimpsed what heaven is, we must get up and do something about it. Worship and prayer are not complete without the loving action that meets needs, heals wounds, and liberates the oppressed. Behind me, of course, are 22 candles. By now, you know that this is what we do here. 21 of those candles represent 19 children and two teachers killed in Uvalde, Texas, by someone who purchased an assault rifle that was easier to buy than a bottle of Sudafed or lawn darts or health insurance. And one of those candles is there for the Asian American Christian who was killed in Orange County two weeks ago, who we have not yet had a chance to remember. My call to you today is very simple. If you need to express your grief, if you need to offer your prayers, then my request is that you would come up here and light one of these candles as a way of beginning to act. Because our prayers and our worship will not fix this problem, but they can, if done properly, gain us the courage that we need to act. On the ends of the table, if you are interested, are copies of the resolution that was passed by the General Assembly of the Disciples of Christ in July of 2015 that calls congregations like ours to do something to fix this problem. It involves a wide variety of things that I would be shocked to learn most of you wouldn't support. They are sane, common sense resolutions. Things like banning assault rifles and high-capacity magazines. 
things like working in the community with law enforcement to create safer communities that are free from guns that can kill people in large numbers. Or working with other churches and houses of faith and schools and businesses to create communities that no longer are driven by fear and mistrust and hatred, but communities that are genuinely driven by courage and love and reconciliation. I'm not going to stop talking about that. So you'll hear more from me about this. You will be invited by me to participate in some of these kinds of things. You don't have to do it. This resolution is not an order on high from our denomination. That is not how this denomination works. And just because I say it's important doesn't mean that you have to think that it is. That's definitely not how this church works. But I'm tired of just lighting candles. And so it's not enough for me anymore. And we have lots of people here who are ready to do a little bit more. And so if you're interested, there are copies of that resolution at the ends of the table. You can take one of those, and if they're gone by the time you get up here, you can email me or reach out to me, and I will give you more. I will probably be really annoying about this for a little while. So I ask for your grace in advance on that. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you again for this opportunity for us to gather today, for us to come before you with our grieving and tattered hearts. We ask that you would help us to know what to do with the emotions we feel in times like this, and that the prayers that we bring here today, the candles that we light, would be a beginning for us to have the courage we need to begin to act in ways that are loving, that can repair our communities, to try to keep these kinds of horrific things from happening as often as they do until one day we've put an end to this madness. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, good morning, Oceanside Sanctuary. Uh, my name is Rich. I've been involved with the church and uh, uh, making this church part of my um, family for the past couple years. And um, if you are involved in the church or want to get more involved with the church and uh, you consider this um, your Christian community, I'd like to share with you some ways uh, and some things that are happening in the coming weeks um, where you can get involved. Um, first of all, the church is going to be starting up new community groups. So this will be an opportunity um, to interact and get to know the members of the church in ways beyond just the Sunday gatherings. If you are interested or curious about these new community groups, if you'd potentially like to lead one, um, or if you have ideas on a community group, we will be meeting um, next Sunday, June 5th, 
12.15 to 1.30, right after the church, in person. Uh, lunch will be available for those in person, and also we'll be doing it as Zoom, so kind of a hybrid type of meeting. Um, in addition to the community groups, another thing is, you may not know, next month is uh, June is Pride Month. Oceanside Sanctuary is an open and affirming church. So there's several ways that we're going to get involved with uh, Pride Month. One is uh, the Oceanside Sanctuary is going to be joining other congregations with Light Up with Pride. And that's going to be on Thursday, June 2nd at 7 p.m. at San Diego United Methodist Church in Encinitas. Another opportunity for involvement in Pride Month is Pride by the Beach, which will be Saturday, June 11th from 12 to 6 p.m. in downtown Oceanside, where the Oceanside Sanctuary will actually have a booth there. So come down and visit our booth and get involved with that. Uh, a third way to get involved in Pride Month is the next day, June 12th, Sunday, will be um, Pride Sunday worship service here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. Um, and then one more way to get involved, Shameless Parenting Webinar. That's going to be June 15th at 6.30 p.m. via Zoom. And that will be hosted by author Dr. Tina Sellers, who wrote the book Shameless Parenting, Everything You Need to, uh, to Raise Shame-Free, Confident Kids. So again, that will be a Zoom webinar. All of this information can be found if you scan the QR codes around the church, if you scan the QR code up there, or if you go to the Oceanside Sanctuary's website. Um, also, just a reminder, um, you can support the mission here at Oceanside Sanctuary. We're 501c3 nonprofit, and we rely on the gifts and donations from you. Um, Jason talked about how the Spirit has empowered us to go out into the world beyond just this Sunday morning gathering. And uh, I pray that as we close today and that you continue the, the rest of your Memorial Day weekend and enjoy your Memorial Day weekend and throughout the week, that the Spirit empowers you to take what you've learned here today and what you felt here today and bring it out into the world. So the peace of God go with you. Also with you. Thank you.